Welcome to Everything STEAM. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. As a physicist and structural engineer in training with Jacobs Engineering, I've made many connections with some bright individuals who are either working, studying, or self-taught and passionate about our particular topics of discussion. Now, this is a special edition of Everything STEAM. Typically, I would be bringing a guest on to talk about a STEAM topic, but for this episode, it wasn't really needed. Plus, it's such an awkward time for professionals and students heading back to school and people just trying to sneak in last-minute vacations, so I guess you're just stuck with me. But I have been studying plastics for about five years now, and mostly in the last two years, I've been looking into their life cycles from cradle to grave, which is literally just saying the beginning of the life cycle to the end of the life cycle. The grave is what you do with it. It could be multiple different things. You could put it back into the production process, or it could go to a landfill, or it could be recycled, or it could be downcycled or upcycled. There's many different ways to go about it, but really it's just the end of the product that you have. Now, there's a real push today for bioplastics because we're understanding the effects of petrol plastic pollution and the, just the petrol industry in general. So bioplastics like PLA or polylactic acid are derived from biomass like corn, sugarcane, tapioca, and other forms of cellulose. While other biopolymers like PHA and PHBH come from sugars that are produced by bacteria. So all of the bioplastics are biologically or naturally occurring. Now, it's claimed that these polymers are more eco-friendly because they are less energy intensive with a smaller carbon footprint and come from renewable resources compared to petrol plastics. But this is only true if they are sourced right and do not increase in land use. And there's other factors as well, but let's, let's just keep it simple for this episode. So some scientists are arguing that if bioplastics are produced from inorganic farming practices, then like a PLA fork, like a, a fork that you're going to use to eat, may have a larger environmental impact than a petroleum-based fork you used last night when you ordered takeout. And that petroleum fork could be something like polypropylene or polyethylene terephthalate or polyethylene, whatever it may be. And when we say environmental impact, it doesn't just revolve around carbon footprint. I think we're doing a really good job of making carbon footprint a really clickbaity term, but there's many more factors. And just for case in point with this, inorganic farms use stuff like fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, while consuming a lot more water and energy, of course, without properly restoring these vital nutrients like nitrogen, carbon, phosphorus, and potassium needed for future harvest. So Whenever we talk about environmental impacts, we're talking about literally everything, not just a carbon footprint. In essence, what I'm trying to say is that all of these have an effect, right? They affect the soil, they affect the surrounding organisms, they affect the atmosphere, they affect the streams, the water bodies, it creates erosion, it has a large effect from top to bottom through the ecosystem and also other emerging phenomena. I'm just gonna cover my tails here. <laughs> but specifically, let's talk about land use for a second. If biopolymer production can be scaled up without adding to the footprint of the already established agricultural industry or just land use in general, then that's a huge step. 
it could be a huge positive. And this is because agriculture already speaks for, this is crazy, 52% of U.S. land use, according to the USDA, and 38% of the world's terrestrial surface based on the United Nations 2020 land survey. So if we're scaling bioplastics from food waste, compost, bacteria, and other methods with an inconceivably small land footprint, then that's better than adding to the already established issues we have going on today with traditional agriculture and land use. Now, a 2010 study from my alma mater, the University of Pittsburgh, compared seven traditional plastics, four bioplastics, and one made from both fossil fuels and renewable resources. The researchers determined that bioplastics production resulted in greater amounts of pollutants due to the fertilizers and pesticides that we name dropped earlier used in growing the crops and the chemical processing that we didn't even talk about needed to turn organic material into plastic. And the bioplastics also contributed to more ozone depletion than the traditional plastics and required extensive land use. So there's a couple things that got added there, of course. There is the chemical processing that has to go into the production of getting these plastics from organic to something that is actually plastic. And then also the ozone depletion. And what they're trying to say there is that the ozone depletion is caused by methane release. So it's that grave sequence. We'll talk about that in a minute. But BPET, which was the hybrid plastic that they tested in this study, was found to have the highest potential for toxic effects on ecosystems and also releasing the most carcinogens. And BPET is just a hybrid plastic. What they mean by that is that it is a blend of both organic and petrol-based plastic. So BPET scored the worst in the life cycle analysis because it combined the negative impacts of both agriculture and chemical processing. However, bioplastics do produce significantly fewer greenhouse gas emissions than traditional plastics over their lifetime. Technically, they would have no net increase in carbon dioxide when they break down because the plants that the bioplastics are made of, like corn or sugarcane or tapioca, absorb that same amount of carbon dioxide as they grew. And potentially, if they are coming from a regenerative farm, it could actually be a negative carbon dioxide footprint. Now, a 2017 study determined that switching from the traditional plastic industry, you know, petrol-based, to corn-based PLA, which is polylactic acid we name-dropped earlier, would cut U.S. greenhouse gas emissions from the plastic industry by 25%. And the study also concluded that if traditional plastics were produced using renewable energy resources, greenhouse gas emissions could be reduced by 50 to 75%. That is huge. So bioplastics that might in the future be produced with renewable energy showed the most promise for substantially reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And I honestly think of sourcing bioplastics the same way as I would when I'm sourcing meat. If the meat comes from an organic and regenerative farm, it's more sustainable than any other scalable source as of now. And when I say as of right now, I'm thinking of what we know at the moment, but I'm also thinking of like in terms of meat, I'm thinking of printable or synthetic meats. So 
if you really want to know more about synthetic meats, you know, shoot me a DM or uh, send an email out to me. I, I really want to make a video on 3D printed meats, and I just think they're really fascinating, and it's something that people should know more about. Are you an athlete who is constantly on the grind? Maybe you're a student who's cramming for an 8 a.m. exam the next day. Or maybe you're someone who's crushing a hike and you have three peaks to go. Well, you've come to the right ad. Sigma snacks are a healthy alternative to pre-workout and energy drinks. These snacks deliver easily digestible sugars and carbs necessary to crush an early morning workout, late night study sesh, or any adventure in between. By combining caffeine and the amino acid L-theanine, these bars are backed by scientific research to provide clean energy, extra focus, and reduce the anxiety and crash that are associated with normal pre-workout and junk energy drinks. Not to mention, they taste great. Specifically, I have been taking them with me on my backpacking adventures. They're a great way to start the day without having any jitters or an upset stomach on the trail. Lastly, Sigma Snacks is a student-run, student-operated startup that would like to offer you 15% off your first purchase with the promo code STEAM. So head on over to EatSigmaSnacks.com and order your first Sigma Snack today to have the best and most reliable source of energy shipped right to your door. That's EatSigmaSnacks.com, promo code STEAM for energy that's out of this world. Earlier, I name-dropped that there's claims of bioplastics being eco-friendly. And we've discussed the first portion of the life cycle called the cradle and a little bit about the processing, but mostly about the cradle. But now I really want to bypass the transportation, storage, packaging, and use stages because those are things that can be determined by the industry and minimalized through already established ideas. But I would really like to talk about the grave sequence. So the claim is that bioplastics should be biodegradable because they come from plants or naturally occurring sugars or naturally occurring compounds. This is only true if the biopolymers are not blended with any petrol plastic to create a product. So take a 100% polylactic acid or PLA product for an example. And let's just say the polylactic acid is created from corn. So the starch from corn kernels are composed of long chains of carbon molecules, similar to the carbon chains in plastic from fossil fuels. But the cool thing is, these chemical bonds of these carbon chains from bioplastics can be broken down by microbial life because they're more familiar and they're also more accessible to them. So the reason why they choose to break down the cornstarch or these long polymer chains from cornstarch rather than the chains from fossil fuels is because they understand it. They have been around it. Their metabolisms know how to break them down. The enzymes within the bacteria can understand what's going on and react to them. It's the same way that like if you just stopped eating meat for like a year and then you randomly just decided to eat a piece of steak your body would react to it very awkwardly and it would take a while for you to break it down just because the enzymes in your digestive system is not used to this foreign product. So that's kind of a way that I would think about it. So that's really why bioplastics can biodegrade and sometimes compost while petroplastic or blended bio and petroplastic cannot. And there's a lot of research out there right now, of course, because science is always trying to find ways to solve problems. 
but there's some research of different organisms that have been found to break down plastics if that is the literal only thing that is around for them to eat. Now imagine that you have a landfill. Landfills are consistent of food scraps and biomass and other sorts of waste, metals, etc., and also plastics. So more than likely, if you were to release these bacteria, per se, or fungi, or other types of organisms into the landfill to break down these plastics, they're definitely going to go after the biomaterial first. Because again, it's something that they're used to. It's something that their body has the enzymes to go after. It's It, it literally, quote unquote, has the appetite for other things first, right? <laughs> and just to clarify some things. Now, I've conducted multiple at-home experiments and read literally many publications by schools like Yale, Columbia, the University of Florida, and my alma mater, as I mentioned previously, the University of Pittsburgh. And quick disclaimer, please only do this if you have virgin plastic, because additives to plastic are a whole other ballgame. But this is how it goes. Place the bioplastics like PLA or PHA or other bioplastics in compost piles or compost bins with differing temperature and moistures to determine their decomposition rates over time. And then you can also do this with anaerobic and aerobic situations as well. Now, I would always set the control as having similar surface area exposure and also similar plastics. The reason being is because then you don't have differences in durability and then obvious differences in surface area. And then also making sure you control to the best of your ability, the microbial activity. So what I'm trying to say is having the same compost pile or compost bin. Now, both the publications I've read and my experiments have confirmed that current bioplastics like the PHA and PLA I continuously name drop are only biodegradable under really high temperatures and are not easily compostable at home. So biodegradation just to explain it a little bit, is dependent on a number of factors such as microbial activity of the environment that you're putting it in, the exposure of surface area, so how much is exposed to the degradation process, moisture content, of course, because you need to have water and oxygen, and then temperature, of course, as we just said, pH, so the acidity of the soil that you put it in is very important, and molecular weight. And when I say molecular weight, I really am just trying to say in a layman's terms, the density of the lattice structure of your plastic. So how light are the molecules packed within the piece of plastic you're trying to break down? And to throw in the curveball, anaerobic versus aerobic decomposition has a huge impact as well. Biodegradation of bioplastics under aerobic conditions results in carbon dioxide and water. Whereas in anaerobic conditions, the degradation products are carbon dioxide and methane, which both you and I know are not good for the environment. Methane is labeled as 25 times more potent at trapping heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period, and that's according to the Environmental Protection Agency. Today, bioplastics will either be landfilled because there's no scaled infrastructure to take care of them, or they are recycled where they contaminate petrol plastics like polyethylene terephthalate, which is PET, 
polypropylene and polyethylene, etc. And in turn, they just landfill it all because it's contaminated. And don't even get me started on that because our recycling system is just broken promises. So likely your bioplastic straw is in an anaerobic landfill just releasing methane that's 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So I guess to be hopeful, we have to step up our end game in the life cycle. So we have to figure out the grave sequence and then also have a sense of scale in the production or the cradle of the sequence. Meaning we need to create bioplastics from sustainable and renewable resources that are biodegradable and cheaper. Of course, without adding to the situation of land use. But in reality, there is no step that takes priority. It kind of has to sequence like this. You figure out scale and infrastructure to handle the cradle and grave sequence. Then subsequently, the price will drop because that's literally the learning curve. That's how economics work. You have to set up a system and have it tried and true over time. And finally, price will drop. Like take a computer, for example. Computers at one point were immensely expensive and was only applicable to research, really, where only universities or, or uh, private funding of a large scale could afford a computer. But today, everybody has a computer because of the learning curve. It became cheaper over time based on systematic processing. Now, ideally and possibly with future legislation and pricing, the petrol industry can be snuffed out of competing with plastic applications. And Big quick disclaimer, I am by no means advocating for single-use plastic. Single-use plastic is lazy, scary, and an absolute disgusting terror for any ecosystem. I do not condone it whatsoever. However, I do think bioplastics are a good alternative if handled correctly. So first things first, we need to work on eliminating unnecessary single-use plastics out of society while changing what's left from that elimination process from petrol to bio-based products. Adjacent to that, widespread infrastructure has to be developed to break down the biopolymers so contamination or pollution doesn't continue to increase. That's my take on what should happen. It sounds really utopian. Of course, that's not what's going on right now. What's going on right now is bioplastics are being produced by all of these producers thinking it's a great idea. But the problem is there's no infrastructure to handle the grave sequence. And it's just, in my opinion, a mess at the moment. Have you ever been standing in the shower looking at the ingredients on your shampoo bottle and noticed that water is always the first ingredient? Well, I have. After a little research, I discovered that shampoo is over 80% water, which is kind of like dumping bottled water on your head while you're standing in a shower. And that's why I'm excited that I found Seabar, a disposable plastic free hair care line that cleans up ocean trash with every purchase. Not only does Seabar pick up one pound of ocean trash for every item ordered, but their salon quality shampoo and conditioner concentrates come from refillable applicators, kind of like deodorant tubes. Just twist them up, rub it on over your hair a couple times, and then just lather it up like you normally would. My favorite part is how long they last. I've personally been using the same C-Bar for three months now, and I've barely used any. So not only does it help save the environment, 
It's also effective, efficient, and most importantly, it saves me money. If you would like to try a better way to wash your hair, head on over to cbar.com and use our special code STEAM for 15% off your first order. Seabar, shampoo done right for you and the planet. Let's talk about something a lot more exciting and happier. Here's some interesting case studies that I came across whenever I was doing my research, and I just want to quickly share them. So researchers at Michigan State are working with cyanobacteria to produce sugars through photosynthesis that could be consumed then by plastic-producing bacteria. This seems to be a cheaper and more reusable production approach and possibly even scaled. Now, Columbia University is developing bioplastics from wastewater and solid waste, where they take a two-step bioreactor process, right, where the waste comes into one reactor, and the reactor then creates fatty acids from our waste, and then transfers into a second reactor, where the fatty acids are then converted and stored as PHA by bacteria. This could also create a scalable market for bioplastics. Of course, if each wastewater plant hopped on board. I'm honestly in big favor of this because it really doesn't add to the whole, again, like we talked about, land use. It's not adding to the land use. It's just really manipulating a source that's already established. Now, the last one I want to talk about is a company called Full Cycle Bioplastics out in California, and they're working on a food waste PHA plastic that can be compostable and also marine degradable, which is exciting. So if your plastic does wind up in the ocean, it can become food for bacteria and fish rather than a danger. And right now they're working on trying to get case studies of how quickly that degrading process actually works in low temperatures, mind you, like six degrees Celsius, rather than what you would imagine to be the process of actually breaking these these uh, products down, which is like 50 to 65 degrees Celsius. And one quick point I want to make is that using food waste would be a great means of creating a circular economic approach. Think of it this way. Food is farmed by agriculture. Then the leftover products from the stores, restaurants, and then, of course, the, the dreaded surplus that we hear about all the time can be used as bioplastics, which can then be consumed and biodegraded to be put back into the fields. And then, of course, be used in agriculture once more. In time, I think there's going to be more bans on single-use petrol plastic, introducing an efficacy of bioplastics with proper methods of returning them to the environment. And throughout my research, it seems that the scientific community is pretty split on the topic. And I can fully understand that because I am too. I'm very skeptical of bioplastics because of, one, the history of petrol plastics. I know it's different sourcing, but I, it just makes me nervous. But just because of the many implications and factors that go into their production and proper disposal, it's already starting out with bad taste. Also, we're trying to get away from single-use plastics, and I think it's being leveraged as an excuse to continue to have single-use plastics. Sometimes you have to use single-use stuff. I get that, especially in healthcare. But I'm talking about 
things that are unnecessary, stuff that doesn't technically have to be in society. It's not there for a scientific reason. It's there for a social reason. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical, but I feel like there's a lot of promise. I also didn't even get to touch on the production chemicals. I just name dropped it before. And also the production waste that comes behind this industry or even the plastic additives. Plastic additives are something that's actually becoming more hot in the news lately, which is really exciting. Not in a uh, effects uh, way, but just in a way that it's finally being talked about is the effects of these additives. So three additives that come to mind, and I'm sure you might be quite familiar with them is phthalates, PFAs, and BPA. And then of course there's there's plenty others if you wanted to do some digging online, be my guest. Uh, it's better to be informed about these things because it not only affects us in our lifetime, but it also from this research is being affected from generation to generation. So let me know what your thoughts are about bioplastics. I'm really curious. I want to know what people are thinking about it. Are you excited about a transition away from petrol? Would you rather just see less plastic altogether? Or do we want to continue down the spiraling path that we're on with plastics? Or is there a heck of a lot of promise in the way that we could possibly dispose these bioplastics? So let me know. But hey, this has been a special edition of Everything Steam. I'm your host, Sam Stanford, and as always, stay curious. Everything Steam would like to give a shout out to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring our podcast along with Ben Sound Music for providing our show with intro, outro, and advertising background rhythm.